If you're just joining us, um, you're actually on the tail end of a sermon series. This is the last in our sermon series called The Earliest Christians. And we started this sermon series back in uh, June when the summer started. And what we've been doing is, is we sort of picked up after the resurrection of Christ that we, cel- that we celebrated on Easter, after he ascended into heaven. Um, and we picked up what did the earliest church look like? What did the first Christians, what, was their, what were their lives like? What obstacles did they face? What uh, challenges did they face? What miracles did the Lord do through them and in them in the midst of, of an incredibly difficult time? of uh, persecution and hardship. And we've walked through many, many stories. Of course, this is a, 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 a 28 plus chapter book. So we're, we're just scratching the surface here of the first few uh, chapters. Um, but what we've already begin, begun to see is that there is this strain on the church. Inside, there's heresy. They're hypocrites. There are those coming in, both both leadership and laity, preaching strange and false doctrines, mainly so they can can profit. And so, so the early church had to fight against that. But it was also outside pressure as well. Uh, different cultures, the uh, government authority, uh, seeing their message of forgiveness and hope and t- taking care of the poor um, and and the uh, and the disenfranchised is challenging the status quo. So they pushed against that too. But what was amazing is despite all of the turmoil inside and outside, the church continued to walk out in love into the world, sharing the good news of forgiveness of sins in the person and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who was fully God, but also fully man. And so here, as we come to uh, our last story in our series, though certainly not the last story in, in Acts, we come to this incredibly beautiful passage. Now, this passage has way more than I could ever cover. Um, it talks about different uh, races coming to know and enjoy Christ. So it's not just a, a Middle Eastern thing or a Western thing or an African thing. It's for the whole world. But what I want to focus on is this gives us an excellent example of how the church just didn't stay in its comfortable place. But it went out into the world empowered with love for the world. To share the good news of Jesus Christ in word and deed. And so here we have the story of Philip. Philip is is a native-born Greek. He wasn't born in in the uh, Jewish world, but he was transformed by the love of Christ. Believed in the fact that he literally came back from the the dead, thus defeating death. And he said, I'm going to give my life to this truth because it's the only hope that our world has. And, and as he walks out, the three things that I want to focus on that he does, which I think can, can really bless us and encourage us as we fight attackers from within and attackers from without. I think the, the three things from the story that I want us to, to focus on as we go out into the world just as Philip did are these three things. First, we, we see in this story the importance of every disciple of Christ to listen to the Holy Spirit. Number two, that everyone in the world is asking questions about God, about truth. And then number three, every Christian can answer them. This collar is not what's cracked up to, to be. Those who know me know that that is absolutely true, 
right? So what three things do, do I want to pull out of this story for us? Number one, it calls us to listen to the Holy Spirit. Number two, everyone around us is asking questions about God and truth. And then number three, every Christian can answer them. So first thing, listen to the Holy Spirit. One of the first things that as you as you read this story, I think what's so compelling, one of the things that's so compelling early on is it has a supernatural dimension, right? There's Peter. He's just gotten finished sharing the gospel in a certain part of, of the Middle East. And then all of a sudden, Peter hears this. First, it's described as an angel of, of the Lord. Later, it's the Holy Spirit, the, the person of God. Just a little foot, footnote here. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's not just a feeling, right? We believe in three individual persons or individuals. God the Father, God the Son, and God, God the Holy Spirit. And what God the Holy Spirit does is he's separate from the Father and, and the Son, but still God. And he comes and he actually applies the work of, uh, that uh, Jesus Christ has done to us. And part of that is, is he communicates. He's the way that we hear God's voice. He inspired these words in our Bible, but he can still speak to us. And what we have is this angel, this, the, the Holy Spirit, because the word angel just means messenger, said to, to Philip, rise and go south. To the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is about 60 miles. Now, this is all on foot. And so he gets up, he rose, and he goes. And while he's down there, he's, you know, he has no idea why God sent him there. But while he's down there, he sees this Ethiopian man. He's a, he's a highly important court official. And he's in his... And he's in his chariot and he's reading out loud the scriptures. Now, that may be strange to us, but then that's that's just what you did. You read things out loud. There was no private reading. That was just it was cultural to read things out loud. And as he was reading this, this the spirit of the Lord said to him in his heart, in his spirit, in, in his mind. Go over there and ask him, what are you reading? Now. For a lot of us, this might seem strange. I understand that we're kind of in this late modern, highly scientifically shaped worldview where we're, where we're raised in this culture where we are materialists, right? That the whole um, story that, uh, that a materialism likes to tell is that we, we lived in the dark ages and we couldn't understand science. And so we explained all this magic and God. But, that, but as we've grown in our wisdom of science, we've kind of done away with these dark things. Those were childish and now we see reality. Well, at one level, yes, we do understand the world more. Science works. Science is a good thing. But at no point does it ever say that science has negated the fact that God's a part of it. That's a huge leap. That's a huge assumption. You see, I love science. I love physics especially. I love all of it. I'm going to stop there to go on for hours. I'm super nerdy about, about that stuff. But what, what's so fascinating about it is that for me, it's actually a glimpse into the way God works. You see, science can only tell us how God does it. He can't tell us who or why. But moving on, all that is to say that our 
it's difficult for our worldview to give space for this supernatural dimension that there might be more happening in this world than we can actually see. But the beauty of this is that it's real. And what happened to Philip wasn't just um, some uh, the apostle or, or, or the uh, uh, the uh, writer Luke, who, who wrote Acts, who you know, is a first century man. Well, he didn't understand things like conscience and common sense and how our brain chemistry works. So he attributed it to some supernatural force. Well, the problem with that is that as you look at the church to, to today around the world, in West as well as East, South as well as North, people are still hearing from the Holy Spirit, especially when it comes to Lord, who are you calling me to love? I have a lot of stories, but I'll tell you the most recent one is this. I have been bumping into a person who will remain unnamed because some of you might know this person. And they've been in and out of my life and they're kind of in St. Thomas's larger sphere of relationships and whatnot. But I have seen this person no less than five times over seven days. In completely random places, places where I have never gone before in my entire life, they were there. <coughs> and I felt the Holy Spirit saying, guess what I'm up to? Guess who you're supposed to go and love more? Guess who I keep putting in front of your path? And I've learned over the years that there comes a point where just... You know, your, your intuition just simply runs out. And truly, this can only be the voice of the Lord sharing with me, go to this person. And so there are some of us in here this morning who, this is convicting, isn't it? It's convicting at a couple of levels. For us, some of us, it's convicting because you know the Spirit is telling you to go to this person, to go to this place, to go in and share the gospel, to go and love this person in word and deed in the name of Christ. But it's scary. It's risky. You're afraid of what they might think about you. You're afraid of failing them. Well, we'll talk about that more later. And the word of encouragement that I have for those of us in that place is go. The Spirit will prepare them just as He has here. But then there are others of us which are challenged by this because it just seems so bizarre. God would talk to us directly. God would talk to our hearts. I, you know, I, all right, fine, I'll give the Bible credit, but He can't speak to us directly, right? He can, and He is. And I would encourage you as you walk with Him to listen more. To listen more. So that's the first thing that the scripture has for us. It encourages us to listen to the spirit of the Lord. But then the second thing is, is well, what happens when we get there? Why is he calling us there? Well, what is so fascinating about this um, scripture is that it shows us that everyone in this world is asking questions. Everyone in this world is asking spiritual questions, questions about God and questions about truth. Here you have this Ethiopian man. 
He's from a totally different culture. Back then, this is sort, sort of the uh, Sudanese area, southern Su Su Sudan, one of the largest empires in Africa, incredibly wealthy, incredibly well-educated, um, in incredibly powerful, totally different set of theology, gods and goddesses. But here he comes to Jerusalem asking these deeper spiritual questions. And he's even taken the Hebrew text, this passage that we have quoted here. I'll talk about it more in point three, but this passage is from Isaiah 53. Isaiah is the greatest prophet in the history of Israel. And, and for Christians, Isaiah 53 is the heart of his message. But here he is. He's wrestling with the scriptures. He's wrestling with what is true. And he and he just screams out. And man, for guys like me, if I would love to sit in coffee shops in restaurants, in breweries, and just have somebody say, can anybody tell me what this means? Just anybody in here. That would make my job a whole lot easier. Anyway, um, but that's what happens. That's what happens here. Now, again, you could say, well, that was, you know, 2,000 years ago. Everybody was superstitious. We're, we've stopped asking those questions, especially here in the enlightened West. Well, I would counter that critique with this. There we are. Now, if you don't know, Two Blokes is a brewery here in Mount Pleasant. I may spend six hours a week there. Okay, here's why. Um, here's why my children, I have to have an explanation. My, uh, my children do um, theater right next door. And I can go in there and I've made some friends in there. In fact, one of my goals is by the time that my children graduate high school and move out of this um, theater troupe, that they would have named a beer after me. Name? The Happy Puritan. That's my hope. That's my hope. Okay. But what's, but what's fascinating is, is that here we are in the middle of Mount Pleasant, right here. We're bright people. Most of us have gone to college. All these things were bright, you know. But here we have on, see, see what's happening here? And just so you know, Hatha um, hops his beer. Sorry if you didn't know. But Hatha is, uh, it's a kind of yoga. Um, but it really focuses on not getting rid of the spiritual element within yoga, of course, which is uh, Buddhism is part of all of that. And the whole, one of the whole goals of doing these different poses is that as you master your body, you are channeling certain energies, which then purify your soul, which then actually allow you to uh, get rid of some of the sin that your soul has acquired over the centuries. Really interesting stuff. But, you know, it's Sunday mornings, 11 a.m., cost 15 bucks. They throw in a pint. They get a food truck. I mean, we got time. We can still make it, right? Um, it's fun. But, but right here, this is, this is classic, isn't it? For those of us who live here, what this tells us is that people are spiritual. People are still asking the questions. They're still seeking. They're still hungry. But yes, they're hungry for all kinds of questions. But at the heart of it, at the heart of every single religion is the question. How do I get clean? How do I get rid of my sins? How do I get made right? How do I become whole? Right? 
And so if you're afraid of going out and you're like, gosh, you know, I could, you know, follow the prompting of the spirit and invest in people. But I'm afraid that they're not going to be ready to hear what I have to, to say. They've already made up their mind on these matters. The reality is, is no. Even the coldest facade of atheism. Even that is a shield. That's their strategy for quelling and quenching the questions. I'm just going to ignore them and just tell myself to grow up and realize that there's no magical God out there. That's a learned response. So if you're afraid of going out, take courage from the Ethiopian monk. Take courage from our story. There are people. This just isn't a Western thing. This just isn't a Southern thing. This is a human thing. People are asking the, the questions. And then that leads us to our third point. We can answer them. We can go back to the regular screen. I don't want people to get tempted. Um, <laughs> but we can. But that brings us to our third point. Is that yes, everyone is asking questions. But you know what? Every Christian can answer them. Not just the guys with the collar. Here's what we have. What is this eunuch asking? Well, I've kind of really hinted at it, right? Because we're all asking the same questions, we can all bring the same answer. He's reading this passage. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his, his generation for his life was taken away from the earth. Well, of course, if you've been around the Christian church at all, especially around Good Friday or Lent, you realize this is Isaiah 53. This is a prophecy foretelling the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who willingly, not under compulsion, the father didn't force him on the cross, wasn't cosmic child abuse Jesus Christ went willingly without grumbling silently and he went and fulfilled the justice of God so we wouldn't receive justice but we would receive forgiveness we wouldn't receive condemnation we would re receive welcome but you see, what's so fascinating about this, what really grabbed the eunuch's attention, and I frankly think grabs all of us, the, the great bend in a Christianity, which makes it distinctly unique from every other um, world religion out there, is that every world religion has a solution to the problem of our sin, of making ourselves clean, making ourselves holy, atoning for our sins. Number one, they're all asking the, the same question, but number two, Every single religion out there, the history of the world, says the way to get rid of that guilt, the way to get rid of that sin is for you to just work it off. You dedicate yourself. You pull yourself up by, by, by the bootstraps. You discipline yourself. You go to Hatha and maybe you have some beers to take the edge off. But you go and you're going to master your energies. 
And in doing that, you're going to cleanse yourself. Yes, the holy writings are there to help you. But at the end of the day, it's up to you. And I think what grabbed this, this unique's attention, what was so um, impossible to understand was here someone being described as sacrificing themselves, giving themselves up so others can, can live. And of course, this, this uh, language of lambs and sheep, all oh, that was sacrificial as well. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of our faith, isn't it? The heart of our faith is we are sinners, but Jesus Christ came and died in our place, forgiving us not just for our past sins, but for our present and future sins forever. And in doing so, he welcomed us into his family, bound himself to us as a father adopts a child, and he will never forsake us. Every single person that calls on the name of Christ has this story. Not just has the knowledge, but has this story of how they experience this. How they know the love of Jesus Christ. How they were at their worst. Their, fe their feeling of, of finally the weight of their sins fell upon them. And they were convicted that they could never work themselves out of it or believe themselves out of it. But Jesus Christ came through the power of the Holy Spirit and grabbed them and made them his own. And we cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You can answer their questions because you have not just the, the knowledge, you have your own experience, which the Holy Spirit will, will take and like an, like an arrow, pierce their heart. With his love and forgiveness. I remember when I. Uh, so for some, some of us. We may not have that one moment. Where we didn't believe. And then we were convicted. And now we do. For some of us it was longer. But I do remember a time. When I was about 13 years old. 14 years old. Where the truth. That I was worse than I thought possible. That even in my best days. I was still sinning. Because sin isn't an action. It's a. It's a feeling, right? It's an ingrained selfishness. And that I could change my outward actions, but I couldn't change this. Couldn't change how I felt, how I thought. Couldn't evolve out of that. Morally. But yet God's love was greater still. And I'll be honest with you, as much as I love theology and I love um, looking at the big questions and and how we talk about things. The things that move people's hearts aren't those things. They're helpful. But what moves people's hearts are the stories. Are the stories of personal um, encounters with a forgiving and loving Savior, Jesus Christ. You've got that. You've got that. And if you don't have that, I'll help you get that. So let me end with this. We're called to listen to the to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because everyone is asking spiritual questions. Can I be forgiven? And every Christian has the answer. So I end with this. There are those of us here who may be saying, that's great for, for you, but what about me? I'm curious about God. 
I am asking questions. Frankly, a lot of what I see really upsets me. Or I want this forgiveness, but how do I get it? I haven't grown up in church. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing for the first time that God first wants to love us before asking us to do anything. Can I have this? Can I have this forgiveness? And the answer is an unqualified yes. You don't need to clean yourself up before come, coming in. You don't need to clean the house before the maid comes over. Just simply come to him as this eunuch does. And says, let me just believe right now. And today, as you leave this place, you can know the depth and the length and the height and the width of God's love for you. The past will be clean. The present will be clean. The future will be clean. And you'll be so full of his love that then you will have the joy of going out and sharing this news of freedom with others. This forgiveness, like it's for me, is for you. And this, of course, is good news for us sinners indeed. Amen.